0: Welcome to our second segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday the 27th of two thousand of June. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's Sunday the 27th of June 2021. It is now one fifty-four in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, since June 16th, uh, there have been no new laboratory-confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, COVID-0, that is where we are right now. Uh, It follows a period of intense restrictions implemented mainly in February and March, which has since eased. Uh, It also follows public uh, vaccination, which has inoculated uh, at least 36,000 people plus uh, so far to date. And it follows undoubtedly a great deal of work and risk on the part of doctors, nurses, inspectors and all others who are responsible for managing public health amidst this pandemic. Uh, So on this segment, uh, we will be asking what got us back to this point and how can we stay here? Uh, Joining us for this discussion, we are happy to have with us uh, Dr. Lester Simon. Uh, Dr. Lester Simon is a pathologist at the Mount St. John Medical Center. Uh, He is also the chairman of the National Technical Working Group on COVID-19. Good afternoon to you, Dr. Lester Simon. We also have joining us, or we should also have joining us on this panel, Dr. George Roberts. Uh, Dr. George Roberts is an ear, nose, and throat specialist. He has joined us on this program before to discuss COVID nineteen related matters in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. George Roberts. Good afternoon. Good to be here. And uh, finally, we do have uh, Miss Sharon Martin. She is the chief health inspector in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, good afternoon to you, Miss Sharon Martin. Good
1: afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon
0: to all listening. Dr. George Roberts, if I could begin with you, just to get a sense from you, uh, we have now come down to a point where for uh, uh, several days, I shouldn't even say several, more than several, uh, over a week now, uh, we have seen no new laboratory confirmed cases of COVID-19. How significant is it that we have come back to this point?
2: I think that is definitely a cause for great pleasure among us all in Antigua and Barbuda, even though it is definitely not a cause for um, complacency by any means. Because um, yes, we've gotten a kind of a check on the numbers at this point in time. Doesn't mean to say that there are no COVID uh, um, cases out there in the community. What it does say though, is that we're not having any, any coming up in the testing that we're doing. And also, um, we don't seem to be having any new severe cases, uh, which I personally think is a more probably a more even more significant um, measure of the kind of COVID control that we have. And so um, that's definitely good news. However, as I said, it's definitely not a cause for complacency or over, um, you know over, 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 overabundant celebration, because one thing is sure, it has not gone for good, and it, in all possibility and likelihood, we will be seeing more COVID again in the future. Uh, It also suggests that um, we're having some positive uh, results for the vaccination um, program that we have had, and also the continued, continued this uh, um, um, uh, social distancing and other measures that have been taken into, pl- into place and whereas we might be thinking about relaxing them gradually and um, I do not think that um, uh, kind of a sense of rejoicing that it's all over is appropriate by any means.
0: Uh, and Dr. Lester Simon um, uh, can you, you can hear us now we didn't hear you initially at the beginning. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, yeah, so I can hear you uh, beautifully, beautifully. Right. you
3: sound a bit faint to me, Mr. Murdoch, but uh,
0: hopefully you can hear me. I, okay, well, I can hear you quite clearly. I apologize if we're not coming through as clearly, but um, I'm curious as to your view on how much uh, the vaccination program in Antigua and Barbuda has contributed uh, to our ability to come down to manageable, uh, well, manageable slash zero numbers of, of of COVID cases.
3: Well, as as Doc, Dr. Roberts just just mentioned, the vaccination has been tremendously effective. Uh, we still have a long way to go, and if I could just um, piggyback back on some of the things he, he was saying, um, we are down um, in numbers because you know our protocol was in essence to test um, the contacts, and if there are no positive cases, then we don't have contacts. We still have travelers. Um, the number of travelers have increased, and we're still are testing surgical um, patients who are going to surgery. Um, what we are planning to do to basically look and see if we are just seeing the tip of an iceberg is to um, roll out testing in the clinics. Um, that's something that's coming, so we can go looking for um, for cases. But to get back um, to your point, the vaccination has been tremendously um, e- effective um, to the extent where we now have what um, our second doses are around 27, 27,500, and our first, first dose is about 36,498. Um, now, the numbers are very interesting here because that run, runs up to about, let's say 64,000, Um Of course, what we need to have is for the first dose, people to get their second dose, um, so we can get pretty close to, to herd immunity. But later on, we can talk about herd immunity and whether we need to adjust the data a little bit, especially when we consider um, the effect of COVID on on, um, on, on children. Um, But yes, the simple answer is vaccination has worked. If you look at the number of um, patients that have been admitted to to Mount St. John's, there's a study or just some data. We had some 89 patients admitted to Mount St. John's and um, only about um, nine of them out of of the 89, roughly 10%, um, were in fact um, vaccinated, the vast majority of, of, of them. Uh, we're, in fact, n- um, not vaccinated. So it shows quite clearly the importance of vaccination. Not only, and this is a point we always make and uh, 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 make it to the detriment of another point, the vaccination not only works in preventing you from getting sick uh, or very sick or dying from COVID, this also prevents you from getting COVID period, you know, uh, as a point that be, that was lost in initial talk about vaccination. So the simple answer, yes, is is that vaccination has worked. And a little later on, we talk about the effect of vaccine on children. Uh, we bring up this point again to see how, in a way, um, immunity works, because uh, that's an interesting uh, um, area we need to look at in terms of the effect of um, of of COVID on children.
0: And uh, Miss Sharon Martin, uh, of course, uh, there is a whole lot of work that goes into the management of COVID-19 from various different uh, uh, uh aspects and and, and, and angles uh, I'm curious from from your position within the the inspector for health um, you know what sort of of efforts would have brought us to the point, you know, in terms of making sure that various places, bars, restaurants, gyms and all sorts of other spaces that have been under a, a close watch, um, have been able to sometimes operate uh, with of course the 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 cooperation of the department in terms of inspection, regulation and so on. Can you just give me some sense of the the, the amount of, of of effort and work that has gone into this? Um,
1: yes. No, because the coronavirus is new to us. We are not accustomed to it. And it didn't come to us with a manual handout with handling instructions attached to follow. We had to sit down in the office as a team of inspectors and replan and re-strategize approach dealing with this virus. And so, we had to more or less look at the three P's that public environmental health, I should say, are based, um, the operations are based on promotion, prevention, and prolonging. We use promoting to conduct regular radio and television talk shows to educate the masses about observing and practising the protocols. Why? Because this is the key way we are going to be able to contain the spread of the virus within the environment. Okay, people visit restaurants, supermarkets, bars, the gyms. We use those places that people would normally congregate Two approaches. And so we tell them you need to always be wearing your face mask to protect the, uh, the nose and the mouth. We tell them to check their temperature, to physical distance once they're in a public space. And we also do not ask for social gathering now going to restaurants supermarkets and common places like that that we know people would go to we have to observe what takes place we have to advise what to do within the home setting we have to tell them about using cleaning agents and disinfecting agents to clean or and sanitize and disinfect frequently touched surfaces. Door knobs, you have door handles, mm-hmm. common things like that. So we ask them to use what we are accustomed to, Clorox, Lysol, DCClean, and if they're going out into the community, to just walk with a small bottle of alcohol that contains at least 70%. And I would say, I also advise that they wear gloves where possible because at the end of the day, remember we are told that the virus, the virus, coronavirus, comes to land on surfaces. And so they have to wash their hands frequently. Whenever Mm. you touch anything, you Mm. keep washing your hands using liquid soap and running let, water
0: let me um, let me pivot just for a, a second there if i if i I'll come back to i come back to you, ms martin let me let me go to dr george roberts um dr roberts we're now moving into a situation where uh, because of course uh, the management of covid has brought us to a, a place covid zero um, or at least within manageable uh, range we don't know if any one of these days you may get one or two cases um we are. Sure we yeah, yeah, but we are. Um, we are more opening up. We're more looking forward to uh, uh, some uh, greater level of, of of activity returning, particularly in tourism. So we're talking about cruise ships coming in. We're talking about planes uh, coming in, and this is what we're looking forward to in the future. And of course, uh, it, it's been quite a while since we would have now opened back up in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, gyms, uh, restaurants, bars, things like that, under certain restrictions. Yes, um, but as we open up more, particularly in regards to tourism. Um, what do you see as the risks in terms of us perhaps bringing COVID-19 back into the country?
2: Well, I don't think COVID-19 has gone. Yeah, Actually,
0: actually I, I, apologize. I apologize. I apologize. I phrase I that badly. <laughs> so, yeah. I phrase that badly. Um, what, yeah.
2: what, I'm, what I'm concerned, however, about bringing in, uh, the new variants, which are constantly emerging every day, and which would be resistant—some of them—to the vaccinations and the resistance that we have now, and much like in the, the common viru- the common flu virus, which, um, um, which is a similar type of um, animal, um, where you have to do flu shots every year, it is not inconceivable that um, by the time that we have the next high high cold, uh, high flu season for us, which is like the end of the year, you know the year. Um, for many of us, the vaccinations that we may have now may be only partially um partially uh, you know effective against um, some of the new strains that may come back. And we may have to think about a rollout of a new booster, uh, just in the same way that people have um, two shots every year um, in, in, in many places. Um, we, the, the fight is definitely not over. And um, yes, we've gotten reprieve. And yes, it looks good for us. Um, I'm very, very concerned, however, about the cruise ships that will be coming in. Um, I think it's a necessary evil and we have to do all that we can in terms of insisting on um, proper uh, vaccinations of, um, of all of all of all of us, both here and those people coming in. Also, we need to um, concentrate on continuing the social distancing measures to um, try to protect ourselves. Because, um, you no, know, even if you're fully vaccinated, and um, you know, um, you know, if if you have, for instance, some of those new um strains um that uh, that uh, we can have uh, in europe and um and parts of england that um if 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 some of these strains come in um it's almost as if we begin to go back to the um to the uh, drawing board again and so therefore it is so very very important for us to not let our guard down continue with the social distancing uh, methods we um, still need to try to go for uh, vaccination because that will help to control exposure to the um, the old strains but and it, and it possibly may give some partial we don't we don't know for sure possibly may give some partial resistance to the new emerging strains but um you know um, as i said it's a it's a continuous battle and of course what we will be done all the time as well is um, besides um, continuing um, in emphasizing put prevention, um, the more and more advances are being made worldwide in terms of treatment. So therefore we can hopefully get to a stage where even if you get the virus, we have enough treatment modalities which um, can reasonably um, make this not be as lethal as it has
0: been traditionally. Uh, and Doctor Lester Simon, uh, you mentioned earlier um, the issue of expanding vaccination. How important that would be. Um, do you? When would Antigua and Barbuda come to the point where we are looking at the, the vaccination of children? And are the vaccines that we have now uh, vaccines that are uh, okay and approved for for approved, uh, for vaccinating children? Sorry. Uh,
3: before we get into the children aspect, let's let's underscore the fact that all the variants of concern, the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta variants, um, which equivalent, which, uh, equivalent to, um, to the ones first discovered in the UK, in um, South Africa, Brazil, and India, they are present in the Caribbean. All of them. So we have a double whammy in terms of Caribbean travel, as well as travel from outside the Caribbean. Um, and Dr. Roberts mentioned quite rightly concerns about the cruise ship. Um, I'm also concerned about certain aspects of the tourism because quite often when I happen to speak on observer radio, there are lots of questions being asked about the tourists in Antigua and whether in fact they're, they're following protocol, so-called bubble that is established for them. And I keep on saying ask the tourist people to come to the radio and hold their feet to the fire so they can talk and answer the questions. because. It seems as if all tourists come from, I don't know, Tim, Timbuktu and tourists from the other places of the Caribbean come from Timbuktu 1 or somewhere else. So uh, the tourist people have to come to the radio and, and talk about some of the nonsense people claim, rightly or wrongly, that uh, that is happening in the, tourist, the tourism in- industry. Um, but I just want to underscore the point that we do have all the variants here. Um, we, in fact, I'm hearing some background noises. Yes, let me um
0: let me, um, let me, um, let me see if I can just uh, sort that out for a quick second there. Um yes, Dr. Simon, please, please continue. Uh,
3: right, as far as the variants go, we in fact have discovered um the the, the alpha variant in, in um in Antigua, and we have we are doing some more studies to see if it's just the alpha variant uh, or or more on, more information on that will come um, from the proper source from the CMO in, in time to come. But, but to answer, to go to the, the question about uh, um, children, I, I think the, the key about children is that COVID has been kind um, to children, if you want to put it that way, or uh, children have been unkind to to, um, um, to COVID. And we need to, to regard, to, to look very strongly as scientists are doing, that's what, you know, in terms of what's happening in, 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 in children. Everyone talks about the immunity and the, 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 you know the good immunity that children have, and they extrapolate from that to to suggest that if I take you know some eye boost or whatever, that I'll become quote unquote like a child and I, I don't really need to to take any vaccination. It's a false premise there because you need to understand what is happening um, in in children. Uh, it's the studying children is very complex. That's the first thing to mention mention. It, it runs a whole gamut from the receptor because the virus doesn't just invade, you know, like like a T4 or rubber, or, or whatever it there's a reception of the virus, as in fact there are reception of all viruses to enter. And um then there are biological, you know, um chemicals that are necessary inside the cell that allow the virus um to to procreate, which the, the children seem to have less of. And the crucial point about COVID in children is that it seems as if children having had early common cold, well early infections of the, of the common cold have built up a number of antibodies that can work to some extent against uh, um, COVID-19 because there's a similarity, Dr Robertson has mentioned that point as well, uh, between these viruses. They're not identical, but there, there are, are some similarity. So we see how, if you wish, a sort of natural vaccine or natural immunity, um, that children seem seem to have uh, because of having had the common cola, allow them to be uh, um, more protected against against COVID um, itself. Now, the, the interesting point about all of this is that if you look at herd immunity and we assume that we're going to take the seventy thousand, the 70 percent of the population, and we assume for argument's sake that population is hundred thousand, uh, we say we need seventy thousand to get you know herd immunity. And if we assume that those are the seventeen you know let's just call them children for the time being that you cannot um, immunize because we don't have the vaccine uh, at thirty percent or thirty thousand then it means that all of the adults the ones that are 18 and over will have to be immunized all because that's the, that's the seventy thousand know, which is basically 70 percent of of a, a hundred thousand but here here here's here's a possibility that we need to look at the fact that children are not that badly affected by COVID. This is not to downplay the fact that you do have one or two um, serious illnesses in children. You do have something called a multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And even then, that occurs some weeks after COVID. It's not an acute uh, reaction to COVID. And that can be relatively easily treated by clamping down on the immune response, which again says that the children are hyperactive, as a lot of children can be hyperactive in terms of The immune response. If you decide to take the children away, you know, to, to as it were, suffer the children, I mean, because they're not suffering that, that much, then you could argue that let's now look at the population that's really seriously affected as being the 70,000, and therefore, uh, um, seven percent of that 7749 is 49,000, and we therefore may be therefore maybe closer to herd immunity, uh, um, th- that we think if you take that argument. If you take the original argument, there is still a 70,000. So we are running somewhere between 49,000 and 70,000 for herd immunity. And if you go back to the data, where we have um, 27,000 people, um, 27,500 second dose and 36, call it 37, well, 36,000 odd, uh, call it 37,000, that's first dose. Then we're looking at basically 64,000 and we only need 6,000 people more to get to the 70,000. Assuming, of course, that the first those people, which are 36,000, will get their second dose, which brings me to the point where, and um, just just now by saying there is some possibility, I gather, and I'm getting from relatively good source, that we will get some mRNA mRNA vaccine, some vaccine from from the United States. Let's assume it's the messenger RNA vaccine. Then it says or it suggests that we should probably use those. Not for the children. Well, and the studying the children have just been what, some 12 to 15 year old. We should probably use those in those 36,000 uh, and odd people who have had the first dose and, for whatever reason, do not want to take the astrazeneca for the second dose. So we can get up as close as possible to that 65,000, as close to, to possible, uh, um, to, as close as possible to herd um, immunity. So to answer your question, um, the children uh, are not that badly affected. Um, yes, it's not a panacea uh, for them, but um, the vaccine for children is not is not readily uh, available to us. And if Pfizer or Moderna comes, and uh, uh, if either of them uh, um, comes, and they have done some work for children, the toss the would be should we use those for children or use those for the first dose people, first dose adults who do not want to take Astrazeneca. I think that's where we ought to go. And allow the, the parent to, to be as fully immunized as possible, so the parents can in fact um um take care uh, of of the children, which is what um her immunity is, which is what parents do all the time, mm. to take care. Um, sure. of, of,
0: of the children. Uh, Ms. Sharon Martin so that's uh, Martin. the
3: long answer to, to the question.
0: Okay. Uh, Miss Sharon Martin if I could bring you back into the discussion and uh, if you could just unmute for me because you are muted currently. Uh, I want to ask you specifically about cruise ships because there's been some uh there's been some debate about cruise ships returning and about whether or not uh the 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 cruise lines will ensure that all of their passengers are are vaccinated and some sense that that may not always be the case. Um is is the health department prepared Uh, to uh, manage a situation in which we may have cruise passengers uh, who are not vaccinated?
1: Well, yes, we are prepared to handle such such a situation. But what I always say in our group, we are not stopping them from coming here on the cruise ship, but we will be asking them not to disembark. If they disembark, they'll be putting our population at risk. And really and truly, I am not prepared for that, because from since 2020, March, public health inspectors have been working tirelessly without any break. And we are tired. And we don't want to see a second wave. So yes, they can come. They can view the ship, the island, from the balcony of the ship. But it is my suggestion that the few that will be coming unvaccinated or not vaccinated should stay on board the ship. And that's how I see.
0: Mr. Murdoch? Yes, Dr. Simon. I'll just yeah, Come back in just before I go to Do- Dr. George Roberts. But yes, Dr. Simon.
3: Let me, let, let me suggest to you what I think will happen. Once you start to have a, a cruise ships um, come in here, uh, and right away, as you mentioned cruise ship, we have to think of Cayman Islands, because that's, that's where it started with Cayman Islands, where they had an Italian gentleman who was sick on a cruise ship, and they didn't realize he had COVID until he had been through, you know, immigration, customs, whatever, in hospital. And that's one of the reasons why Cayman had to go on this almost island-wide um, vaccine, um, testing program. But what, what i'm fearful of when it comes to the cruise ships is that the islands are going to be fighting each other um there's some islands who are going to say uh, contrary to what <laughs> Ms. martin quite rightly said oh they can come up we'll have a program for them and you're going to have the islands fighting um each other um to see which, uh, which a race to the bottom take cruise ship that have a mixture of unvaccinated Unvaccinated. That, is, that, is, that is my fear as far as the cruise ships are concerned. I just thought i
0: I'll mention that. Uh, Dr. George Roberts, on this question of uh, managing the return of cruise tourism, uh, how, how do we manage a situation uh, where we may have uh, cruise passengers who are unvaccinated? Would you support the suggestion that they just not be allowed to disembark?
2: I think that probably may be most prudent, or if they are allowed to disembark, which would not be... Which would not be uh um which would not be practical you'd have to get undergo quarantine uh you know which of course for cruise thing cruise tourism is basically a no-go the um, reality of it is that we have to protect ourselves because if the, the very time um you know we get another outbreak those same cruise ships that we are quoting will just turn around and go somewhere else and that's a, that's a harsh reality of it And I I, I place like a cruise ship where you have lots of indoor situations with, um, you know, lots of people in a small space, you know, it's like a petri dish for the the development of of COVID. And so I think it has to be very carefully managed. I would think in the interests of um, our economy and so on, it would be, uh, might be a good thing to um let um the cruise ships um come back i think we need it to some extent but it has to be on a very strict uh, um, and um almost rigid and non-corruptible uh, um conditions and um you know and that that's only because i think i see that particular mode of um tourism as to be probably one of the more um potentially malignant aspects for the spread of COVID.
0: Mm. Uh, And coming back to you, Dr. Simon, um, I have a question here on the WhatsApp board. I'm not sure if you may be able to answer it, um, but uh, the question was asking... uh, Basically, to the level of testing that has been done since the last positive case? I think there's been a debate about whether or not uh, the reason we're seeing zero cases is because uh, there hasn't been enough testing. Uh, How would you respond to that concern? And are you able to say, I know you may not be able to, but are you able to say, you know, uh, the numbers of tests that have been done uh, since the last positive case? Right.
3: Uh, As as I hinted earlier, we are, sorry, originally um before we got to this point we were testing contacts and that in fact is what paho and who uh, um, said you know to spend your time and money and expense in in in, um in tracing down the contacts. um since the contacts have have dwindled um obviously to zero with with zero cases and therefore zero contacts the number of travelers um the number has increased and we're also testing uh, surgical cases so yes The numbers are a bit down to the extent where in fact we do not we have not for the last week or maybe a week and a half to two weeks sent um, any cases to CAF apart from for variant variant, uh, um, testing and the reason for that is because um, CAF will only accept contact trace you know epidemiological uh, related cases the ones the travelers and others they're paying for the tests and the vaccinated um, for the vaccinated people coming back they're also paying for a test so we don't send those to CARFA. So in fact, we are doing we are doing um, a fair amount of tests. We are doing sometimes over, or sometimes close to 200, a little bit over 100, and a, a little bit under. But the, the key point is that we have to know, since the contacts are not there, go looking for cases. And this is why I mentioned the point, that very shortly we're rolling our tests in the clinics, um, starting one or two pilot clinics so that we'll have certain parameters so that the ones, for example, who were traveling would not just go into the clinic uh, and, and get a test, when they, I mean, free, when of course they ought to pay for it at, at the hospital. So yes, we'll be doing more testing to, to account for the fact that we need to find out if there are cases out there, uh, sort of the sub-emergent part of the iceberg and as iceberg in the tropics obviously don't last. So we, we are in fact going to be doing more but we have increased the number of tests that we are doing. We have maintained a certain level uh, because, uh, as I said, travelers have increased. And um, the number of surgical cases probably just about remain, remain the same. The ones coming back um, that are fully vaccinated that still have to be tested, Mark, you, to make sure we don't, um, we're not losing any case of breakthrough um, COVID. So we're still doing a large number of, of, of tests, but we are going to... Be going out into the into the clinics that have the tests um, um, set up there. It's going to be the um, the antigen test in, in the clinic, um, so we can make sure that we are finding any one or two cases that are on. All right,
0: but, um, go ahead, yes, I Dr. Just, George Roberts, please. Um, Hello. Yeah. sir, please go ahead. Yeah, please. yeah.
2: May I just put in um, one little thing here? Um, the reason why COVID is a big problem is because. It can cause severe illness and death. If COVID was like the regular flu, where um, you know you got you get some illness and you know you know you got bad, you were down for a few days and then you got back up, um, it would not be of so much an issue. Therefore, from my point of view, the key parameter. COVID, and this is one of the things that we were trying to do from the the start, was to try to manage the amount of severely ill persons that we have. Um, With the fact that we have been able to control the severely ill persons, even though that means, that doesn't mean to say there's no COVID out there, I think there's still COVID out there. And we are in this happy state right now at this point in time where there are no severely ill persons out, um, out there. Um, yes, we're going to be doing some testing, but um, I'm not sure if, um, from my point of view, that um, is going to be so much of a great focus. I mean, say I, Dr. Simon, I know you are on the board and, and you are uh, involved with the whole administration of it. But uh, to me, it seems as if there's traditionally been a overwhelming, uh, pressure um, and request for quote-unquote testing, to which I always say, well, to what end? Yes, it's important to test things like contacts and so on, especially of people who have um, severe disease and and, and that kind of thing. But um, um, how much testing do we really need, Dr. Simon?
3: Right. I was saying, um, as much as I would call myself a testing man or a testing person, I've said in, 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 in different forward that I, I think and anybody would say this if they understand epidemics, that the heart uh, of, of treatment or the, the, the key in treating any epidemic, even long before we had PCR or even any other boucher tests, in fact, quarantine and, and, and surveillance. And, and those, those stand at the, at the heart of, of any uh, any measure to, to handle okay. any epidemic. But the testing is obviously important for the simple reason that there may be variants out there as Dr. Roberts himself uh, 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 mentioned earlier. So we do need uh, um, those testing, but it has to be seen in, 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 in the context. And here's, here's an interesting point because sometime earlier this year, I, I, I remember when I got a document from Paho Guru that said, if you test, for COVID today, and you're asymptomatic, and you remain asymptomatic for 10 days, you can, of course you'll be in quarantine. You can literally walk out of quarantine without another test. And when I first read it, I said, what nonsense is this? Uh, when I spoke to him, he said, well, here's here's the evidence. Here's, here's, here's the research, here's, here's the data. Now, what this means, and it ties into something the, the, um, the Minister of Health mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that even when we reach herd immunity, or even where we are right now, it simply means that if everybody in, in Antigua, which is a theoretical uh, position to take, were to isolate themselves uh, um, for 10 days, of, uh, COVID will have nowhere to go. Of course, they could keep COVID uh, coming in. Of course, that doesn't work in real life because what happens is that on the 11th of, of the night day, uh, you know, before midnight, um, somebody's gonna get you know, associated with some other person in some shape or form, and then it spreads and then it takes on this exponential uh, um, spread. So in terms of how much how much testing uh, that, that is that is required to, to go to the answer, to answer the question that Dr. Roberts asked, it has to be tied in to your surveillance and, and your contact tracing, which is precisely what we're doing. Remember those days when people say, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. We we're, were doing precisely what, what PAHO said uh, we ought to do. And now that those contacts have, have declined um, to reach a point of zero, we are now doing the next best thing, which is to, to open the testing to who, whoever will, uh, may come once they fulfill um, certain criteria so the simple answer is that it varies at times when the testing goes up and there are times when the testing uh, uh, um, go down
0: but at, the, down, at this point it is it is down. the
3: contacts yeah. Well, so we move in. We move in. We, we go to the next stage, uh, which is to, to to go go looking for the cases, uh, then, right. um, so to speak.
0: All right. Um, I, I have to pause you. I want to give Miss Sharon Martin the final word for this segment. Uh, Miss Martin, um, uh, as I said, I'll give you the final word. I do want to put a, a question to you, uh, which is, um, we are in Antigua and Bob, you are talking about the return of of larger gatherings, um, as we well, well, for vaccinated persons, but uh, as we uh, uh, move into that. Uh, uh reopening sense that, that 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 greater level of normalcy what would you want to remind persons um, patrons members of the public who uh, may find themselves participating in an event I mean, Sharon Martin you're still with us you are muted I'm not sure if you're speaking right now but you are muted
1: sorry sorry again go ahead as yeah. we say to members of the public as we go back to large gatherings we need to get vaccinated fully vaccinated we need to observe the protocols washing hands wearing face masks social distancing these are things that are critical and quintessential to safe getting back together in groups and so i'll ask them just to simply observe the protocols i know we're gonna have um, entertainment next month for 300 persons and so we just ask them to observe the protocols, do what is, um, we expect of them, wear the mask at all times unless they're eating and drinking, check their temperature, if they're not feeling well, do not go to shows. take a pass on it and remember The more you fail to practice observing the protocols, the longer we would find ourselves under quarantine conditions. And I tell you, don't be the author of your own misery. Stay
0: safe. With that, uh, I think we're going to have to leave it there. We are over time for this segment. I want to say thank you to all three of our guests. Uh, Dr. Lester Simon, pathologist at the hospital, also chairman of the National Technical Working Group on COVID-19. Uh, to Dr. George Roberts, he joined us as well, an ear nose and throat specialist here in Antigua and Barbuda. And to Ms. Sharon Martin, the chief health inspector here in Antigua and Barbuda. Thanks to all three of you. <laughs>